man, can I just tell you, if you want to be set on fire, uh, watch young people worship without you having to prompt them. That, that is something that is absolutely amazing. And I'm thankful for just the favor and the blessing of God on this house. And uh, the youth ministry is just a reflection of our pastors. Anybody thankful for pastors who believe in the next generation? Come on now. I'm thankful. And so, hey, uh, I noticed that the media is off. And so uh, for you guys, I've got a lot of scripture, so you don't get to see the scripture. But the bad part for me is I don't get to see the clock, okay? So at some point, you're going to have to... Okay, cut me off because listen, you might make a long-winded preacher of me yet, okay? It might happen. And so I'm going to jump into this. I'm thankful to be with you today. I'm in Hebrews chapter 10 for the note takers. And uh, yeah, I'm just thankful for the word of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good works. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day that it's referring to there is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Anybody know that we're closer than ever to Jesus Christ coming back? All the more as you see the day approaching. I just want to talk from this uh, topic for a few moments Possibly a few moments, unless you don't give me the sign. Uh, it's this. It's more than ever. More than ever. So, Jesus, we thank you, God, for your word. God, we thank you that regardless of who presents the word, there's power in it. Jesus, we thank you, God, that this is a house, God, that isn't, that isn't married to opinions or processes, God, but we are married to the word of the living God. And so, God, we stand on that today in Jesus' name, and somebody shouted, amen. amen. I want to quickly tell you a story about me. Whenever, uh, whenever I was younger, I was raised in a Pentecostal church. And so uh, all the craziness that you think about maybe when you think of a Pentecostal church, I was in the middle of all of that. And I remember being five years old, and, and I was not paying attention to the preacher. I was actually underneath a pew, and I was playing with toys. And I remember being underneath that pew at five years old. I, I, I remember this vividly. And I remember there sitting and thinking, and, you know, the benefit of being under a pew in a Pentecostal church is the pastor can't spit at you. And so I was there, and I was playing my toy. And, but I don't know what happened, but something just clicked in me. And at five years old, I, I recognized I need Jesus. I was, at a, I was at a position uh, of education, apparently, where I could write. And I remember grabbing my grandmother because she was the, and still is, the pillar of my family. I remember grabbing her little notebook that she took notes on every single Sunday. And I remember grabbing it and writing the question, Mamma, I think I need Jesus. How do I accept him? And the preacher was doing his thing. And so through an exchange of notes, I said yes to Jesus Christ at five years old because of my grandmother. And from that point until now, I have been raised in church. Sundays, Wednesdays, conferences, trainings, collectives, you name it. I've been in church. I've been in church a long time. I've not just been in church, but I've been in church a lot. And I have to be honest uh, with you. It's been 30 years now. And if you do something for long enough, you're going to develop a fatigue towards it. And if I'm being honest with you, even recently for me, I've really forgot the significance of all of this. 
And if I'm being brutally transparent with you, even though I'm on staff and I'm a pastor, there are times where I just really don't want to do church. There are just times where I just forget. And you know what is is interesting too? Is that I would have to admit to you that from the time that God planted me and saved me until now, church has been a blessing in my life. And Pastor Dick doesn't know how prophetic he was being this morning because my next thought is this. Isn't it amazing that regardless of how great something is, that we over time can, can for, forget the significance and we can, we can really with our gratitude, we can forget to offer to God, to offer him the gratitude and the thankfulness that, that he deserves for what he's doing in our life. And even if the gift is directly from him, we can still, we can still neglect it. Um, it, there's a phrase that is really popular now. It's the word cringe. Cringe. Anybody heard that phrase, cringe? Cringe just means that somebody is really without self-awareness. And, and if you want to read cringe in the Bible, just read the book of Exodus. Because the way that the people respond to God after everything he's done for them is really uncomfortable. And so God delivers his people. And, uh, and as the people of Israel are leaving Egypt, the Egyptians, you read, are actually just throwing gold and treasure at them, like, please just get out of the way. So they, they leave rich, and then after that, uh, you see that God provides his version of GPS, which is a, a, cloud of, a pillar of cloud by day and a, a pillar of fire by night. And then on top of that, God provides water out of a rock in the middle of a desert to feed million-plus people. And then on top of that, he provides manna and quail. And I find that interesting because the quail, you guys know that quail can fly, but the the quail are literally just on the ground. They don't even have to chase them. They're just sitting there like, eat us, eat us. (laughs) And then the Bible also says that manna was like a sweet wafer. So in my translation of Scripture, this is the first ever uh, chicken and waffles meal. (laughs) And then if that wasn't enough, God does even more for these people. And their clothes for 40 years doesn't wear out. Their shoes, I mean, how many of y'all need a pair of shoes every couple of years? For 40 years, their shoes in a desert don't wear out because of the providence of God. And they still develop a complaining and negative attitude towards what God was doing. And the same thing that was true about them can be said about us, that we can be in the middle of God moving and still develop a critical attitude. And can I just tell you that the community that God is now in and that he's moving in and that he's in the middle of today is his church. Ephesians 1, 22, it says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. That's you and I. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Nowhere in scripture do you see a gathering like this ever condemned. 
you always see this right here encouraged. And even when God has to deal with his people and has to deal with his church, it's never in order to push us down. It's always because he's calling us up. And in fact, the word church in the original Greek means called out ones. Notice it does not mean uh, perfected ones, which means that if you are still a work in progress, this is the right place to be. And so I've got, with that being said, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. And if you're like me, I want the bad news first. Give me the good news a little bit later. So I'm going to treat you like I would treat me. Church is only made up. And it doesn't matter what church it is. It's this church, Baptist church, down the road, Methodist church, it does not matter. It's only made up of imperfect people. Only made up. That's all you get. It's 100%. It's not the watered down stuff. It's all 100% imperfect people, which means that this perfect and complete and finished work of Jesus Christ that we read about is expressed through people who, who are still flawed. Okay? And so... Um, if you stay connected to a local church, if, if, you, if you recognize the gift that this is and you stay and you thank God and you, you give Him gratitude for this like Derek was talking about, I want to let you know that there are a couple things that are going to happen and this is the bad news. And can I just share with you that this isn't a matter of if but when. Okay, so let me, let me show you this one. You're going to disagree. Uh, the Bible says this. Paul is considered as the greatest Christian uh, by many to have ever lived. Outside of Jesus Christ, th this guy was absolutely phenomenal. And whenever you read about Paul, you see that early on in his ministry, he partners with a name uh, named Barnabas. And Barnabas does life with Paul. He does ministry with Paul. He does church with Paul. And so you're going to have to listen to this because something happens in their relationship. Acts 15, it says this. Sometime later... Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit all the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord, and let's see how they're doing. Now, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Listen, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. As sad as this account is, you'll notice something. That the argument that Paul and Barnabas had was not over the core, was not over the crux of the gospel. It was, this argument was over how to accomplish the gospel. And a lot of times in church, our arguments are not a matter of heaven and hell. They're a matter of preferences and programs. And wouldn't you know it, that when you get a whole lot of people in the same room, that it's going to be hard to come to an agreement on certain ideas. Now, I want to try to break this down for you, because I heard something that was so profound. Somebody said that church is like a bus. Okay? It's meant to hold a lot of people, and it has a destination. Now, Suppose that everybody in this room is qualified to drive the bus, and perhaps maybe even some of us want to. Well, the simple fact of the matter is, is that if, if all of us try to drive the bus at the same time, anybody know that we ain't going anywhere? And in fact, a whole lot of us, not just in the bus, but outside of the bus, are going to get hurt. We're going we're to cause damage. 
The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians, that spiritual leadership is in place for what, for what the Bible says order. Okay? Now, not control, not manipulation, not awful church leadership like some of you have experienced, but order. And this is the beautiful thing about the principle of order. That if you're on the bus and you're content with, with where God has called you to be, your hands do not have to be on the steering wheel and your life can still make progress. That's a beautiful thing about order. Now, uh, disagreements will happen in church. You're going to see, and it doesn't matter what church you go to, you're going to see things that you aren't 100% with. But can I just say that, that every time you see something that you disagree with does not mean that you need to change buses. And can I just say that if that's your mentality, then you're going to be pulling on that stop cable for the rest of your life. You're not going to agree with everything unless you're driving the bus. And then if you don't have the calling and the gifting to drive the bus, you're going to hurt yourself. And can I just say one other thing? That whenever it comes to finding a church, I'm sure if you polled people, they would say, I want kids ministry and I want youth ministry and I want, I want something for singles and I want something for married couples and I want small groups and, and all these things. But can I just suggest to you that perhaps... What you should be looking for in a house of God, first and foremost, is if, is if uh, God's presence is active there and is He welcome there. Because if the presence of God is there, can I just let you know, everything else will take care of itself. We can cover it, but we've got the main ingredient to make this thing go. And can I just say one other thing about order and leading? I don't know about you, but over the last... Ten years, I'm so thankful for the direction that Pastor Robbie and Monica are taking us. And, and I love you. Thank you. So, uh, another piece of not-so-good news is that you're going to be offended. Some offenses will be you overthinking and assuming things. Some offenses are going to be just the simple fact that somebody did not value you like you should be valued. Other offenses are going to be that somebody stood up on a stage and projected to be something that they weren't. Offenses are going to happen. In his letter to the church, Paul says this in Ephesians 4. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in God forgave you. Can I just give you some context that, that that letter to the churches is written to Christians on how to treat other Christians. It's not written to us about believers. It's written with the understanding Christians treat Christians with a little bit of dignity and forgive them. Why is that in there in the first place? Because Paul wrote with an understanding that offenses are going to happen. It's just a part of being in a group with imperfect and flawed people. And, and I want to say this. Whenever hurt happens, the initial thought is distance. That's the reaction with any pain is distance. I don't want to be a part of that anymore. And distance, that's a natural response. That's an okay response. There's nothing wrong with that response. But where the flaw comes in is where you distance yourself so much that now you become disconnected to the thing that Christ died for and the thing that Christ loves. Uh, I, I want to say this to you. 
John Maxwell said it this way. If you distance yourself from people, the good news is, is that they can't hurt you. But the bad news is, is that they can't help you. And if you're not careful, you'll believe the lie. And some of you are struggling with this lie. You'll believe the lie that, that when I get connected to church and when I start to serve in church and whenever I start to give my life to church, the only reasonable outcome is that I'm going to get hurt. And so some of you even come from backgrounds of other, uh, of, of other locations and you, you're afraid to get connected because you assume that this place is going to be the same as the last place. And can I just speak to that lie that church is only ever going to hurt you? Uh, this, what I'm about to read to you, was written this year, okay? Harvard researchers, in case you didn't know, Harvard isn't necessarily a champion of Christianity, okay? So... <laughs> Harvard researchers concluded that weekly church attendance effectively improved the physical and mental health of millions of Americans and reduced mortality by 20 to 30% over a 15-year period. Other studies assert faithful church attendance helps prevent the despair, anxiety, depression that leads to early deaths by suicide, drug overdose, and alcohol poisoning according to a new research. Um, our world loves scandal. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but we, we love scandal. And any time that church is mentioned uh, on, a, on a broad level, it's usually very negative. And I just want to remind somebody that, that the good that God is doing in his church far outweighs the negative. Just want to remind you, uh, another thing is, is this, uh, you're going to feel overlooked. There's a, there's a story in Matthew 18 that we celebrate because we, we read it and we think, man, look at how good God is. Look at how he'll go after people. And I, I want to read it really quick. Matthew 18, verse 12. It says, what do you think? Jesus says, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills? And go and look for the one that wandered off. And if he finds it truly, I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. I don't think that there's anybody in this room that is opposed to seeing lost people come to Jesus Christ. I don't think that there's a single person. Uh, and I think that most of us would agree that, hey, when people come home to the Lord, let's celebrate. Let's throw a party. But your nature and my nature are going to tempt us with the question, what about me? I didn't leave. I've been faithful. I've been serving. I've been given. Nobody reached out to me. Nobody asked how I was doing. And so that mindset will, will creep in. And if you've been coming to Calvary for any length of time, you've heard about Luke 15. Luke 15 is the story of the prodigal son. If you don't know it, long story short, a father has two sons. The older son is faithful. The younger son demands his inheritance and he leaves. He leaves. He runs off. He lives life his way. And the family, because they have no connection to him, they think that he's dead. One day, the younger son comes home. And the father, when he sees the son, he rejoices. And he says, you know what? 
this, this calls for a celebration. Everybody let's party. But the older son who stayed had the what about me mentality. And in a, in a place like this, it would be really easy to develop a what about me mentality. Because if you've noticed, every Sunday prodigals are coming home. Every Sunday. Literally every Sunday, eternal destinations are being changed. They're being flipped. And, and I want to say this. I, I'm not making an excuse that, that we shouldn't celebrate people. The Bible says to honor one another, to outdo one another with honor. In fact, as a staff, as a church, I know my pastor's heart, our only conversation is ever to let's, let's celebrate people and the faithful people and the servants and the people in kids' ministry. Let's do more for them. That's the only conversation that's ever talked about. But can I just remind you that if your faith is in us to recognize you, your faith is in the wrong place. Your faith, and and at some point, the foundation of your faith has to be built on the foundation that he sees me. He knows me. He loves me. He's got me. And so I I just want to share that. And and guess what? If If you're being faithful and you're connected, you're doing what you know to do. There's a promise for you. And it's a beautiful promise, Galatians 6, 9. Some of you may know it. Let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Good news for you guys, the clock just came on, okay? So I know where I'm at. So that's the bad news, but here's the good news. Matthew five fourteen, or excuse me, yeah, Matthew five fourteen. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This world is crazy. Ukraine's at war. Major economic powers are in limbo right now. Israel is now at war. America is divided. There's, there's famines. Whenever, whenever the war in Israel started, I don't know if some of you guys noticed this, but there were some major earthquakes that happened in Afghanistan that, that really ravaged some communities over there. Human trafficking is still an issue. And it just feels like more and more as the days progress that it's harder and harder to trust people. What Jesus predicted in Matthew 24 is literally being played out in front of our eyes when he says, in those days... The love of many will grow cold. But for as crazy as the world is, may I, may I present to you that we haven't seen nothing yet if you take the church out of the equation. You haven't seen nothing yet. We are the, the shimmering light in the distance. We are the city set on a hill. We are the glimmer of hope to the world. This community right here, sitting in these seats, this is the model that the world is looking for. Can I just, can I just speak some life into you and, and just share with you something personally? I've walked in on Sundays, and before a notice played or the Pastor Robbie or whoever got up and even spoke a word, I've walked through the hallways and my heart has been, has been just touched because of the community and because what God is doing here. If you'll pay attention... If you'll open your eyes, you'll notice 
families of different races embracing each other here. If you'll open your eyes, you'll see grandparents worshiping beside their grandkids. And I feel like more and more I'm seeing grandparents and grandkids getting baptized on the same night. If you'll open your eyes, you'll notice that people of different political affiliations treat each other with dignity here. Can somebody say amen? Come on now. And, and what else is beautiful is in your row right now, there's a good chance that families from Carver are sitting in the same aisle as families from the Ridges. All I'm saying is that whenever our eyes are fixed on Jesus, nobody does community like we do community. That's all I'm saying. And so, and people talk about miracles because we serve a God of miracles, but they always ask this question, why doesn't God do more miracles? And can I just present to you that perhaps we should start by recognizing the miracle right in front of us? Just throwing it out there. Didn't Jesus say that if you'll be faithful with the little, I'll be faithful with the much? And so I'm just saying, you and I need this place more than ever. And when you stay, watch what happens. You'll be refreshed. Psalms 91, verse 12. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Church is the place where the word of God is, is consistently preached. And if you know anything about the word, you know that this can take care of itself. But something interesting happens when Jesus is preached is, is whenever Jesus is preached, the Holy Spirit gets involved. And whenever the Holy Spirit gets involved, that's when some magic happens. The Holy Spirit's job is to reveal Jesus. That's his role. And you'll notice, uh, and, and many of you can probably speak to this, that that you can come in on a Sunday morning and you're going through your stuff and it just seems like the pastor is preaching a message like he's been watching you over the last couple weeks. Has anybody ever had a message tailor-made for them? Guess what? That's not the pastor. That's the Holy Spirit. Hey, can I say something else too about the Holy Spirit being involved in this place? Um, you, you can be sitting in your seat on a Sunday or Wednesday night and the Holy Spirit gets, to, gets to, uh, involved. And the pastor isn't even talking about uh, what you're actually going through. But you start feeling convicted over things. And you start, you start getting emotional. And you, you start feeling like God's tugging on you. What is going on here? The, this doesn't even apply to me tonight. It's the Holy Spirit calling you up. It's the Holy Spirit. When he gets involved... Things change. And when we say yes to him, look what happens. Acts 2, 19. Now repent of your sins and turn to God that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. Anybody need a little bit of refreshment in your life? This is the place where it happens. I talked about the negative things that will happen in church. Can I just say something else that will happen? Because I've experienced it when the Holy Spirit is welcome. You'll walk in and your faith will be on the verge of death. You'll walk in and you'll feel drained and depleted. You'll walk in and you don't even know why you even made the effort to get to the house that day. But you'll get in an atmosphere like this and it doesn't matter if you sit in the front or in the back. And you'll, you'll start to feel the presence of God just pour out on your life. And what was depleted over the course of months and weeks, God will refresh in a moment. Why? Why, why does God do that? 
because in his house, he'll fill you up.